calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share new tips on how to build a better life while you work on your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Here we are, everybody. <laughs> So, I did a best of last week because I was in Key West. We were not in the same place and it was too busy. So, I did a best of of Hollywood horror stories, which hmm. fit my mood. And now, why but, did it fit your mood, Tanana? Oh, you know, we'll get into all that. But at, since you asked, darling, why don't we just go straight into, you know, what's going on? In my heart, that is really our theme song. That is literally actually our theme song. Because it comes <laughs> so early in the show, I might as well just play it at the top of the show. But as I mentioned briefly, we had a setback. This is like a difference a few days makes. Because the whole time I was in Key West, this, the past few days, for the Key West Literary Seminar, which was amazing. Great opportunity. Got to meet um, Gilbert King, who wrote the the Pulitzer Prize winning book, Devil in the Grove, that really helped me research the reformatory. Just so excited to meet everybody. But I spent a lot of time sort of staring into space, lying in the bed or lying in a lounge by the pool, staring into space because I was recovering from this like surreal phone call from our executive working on a 
an adaptation, a TV adaptation that was going, of course, too well. It was going <laughs> superbly well. I best, mean, that, best that was experience it. experience we'd had in that sense. See, we, we should have known just from how well it was going that we were about to turn a corner and run into a wall. Uh, pride goeth before fall. Like Wiley Coyote chasing Roadrunner. <laughs> But I, I honestly still have faith, even though, and, and for those of you who don't know, if you're an author, it's the same as losing your editor. Think of how that would be. Maybe if you're lucky, there's another editor who will just take up your cause. And I mean, they've given you a contract. They'll publish your book. But well, they yeah, that, it's support, worse here because love. what's what you just said in publishing, if you lost your editor, they'd hand it to somebody else and they'd still publish it probably. Yeah. But in television or, or, or film. If you lose the executive who is championing you, basically your project just dies like a dog in the road. You know, this, right. <laughs> you, if you don't have an advocate, you basically Forget it. are you, you're Forget shit it. luck. <laughs> I mean, and anyway, I won't go into all of the roiling emotions and sobbing in the bathroom uh, during my layover <laughs> on my way to Key West. Y'all don't need to hear about all that. I think well, the you most- know something. I think that it would be useful for them to hear about the reintegrative process. That that when I heard that, my first thought was assuming that on the other side is we're going to survive. So the only yeah. question is, how do we get to the place where we're enjoying that survival as rapidly as possible? And I knew that what I needed to do was just let you grieve and then be there to catch you when you're ready to come out of your shell. So I've not always been that smart. You know, well, you were I, good. I, I've often gone straight for trying to solve it. But the truth is, in this case, solving it was comforting you. That right, you got to grieve it. the dream that like is earlier, like 48 hours before we had all been sharing and we're about to move to the next tier, send the polish to one of my favorite actresses to try yeah. to add some talent yeah, and to a our director pitch. on board. People, the, the, the executive who is considered Woo. brilliant was saying that our, our draft was just wonderful. They were just, just all over. A few I mean, little like, things. Finally, little it, was a, it was a sweet mystery of life at last I found you time. You oh, know, my like, God. And then it falls apart. It's just, the entire department at the, at the company is being fired. And I mean, so it's like we're orphans suddenly. What kind of business is this? That we're getting ourselves into. But in any case, it was, I will talk about my process because I would, you know, we heard the news on a Thursday night. I had to fly out Friday morning. So it's that feeling of waking up first thing in the morning with a brick in your stomach. And you're like, why do I feel like somebody just died? Oh, because this project just maybe died. And, and then trying to keep myself together on the flight, which is how I ended up sobbing in the bathroom because I kept myself mostly together on the flight. But by the time I was at my layover, I just needed to let some of that sobbing out. And it was good. You know, uh, sometimes you have to cry. That's just life. It, it's Absolutely. not good to suppress. You can't suppress it. And then we got a call from the manager reminding us that, oh, you're still going to get paid for your polish. Uh, that was now, a big help. A manager is halfway between an agent and a friend. That they their job is to basically they're a they're professional friends. They understand the industry, they understand not just your jobs but the career arc you want. You know, just that's their job to listen to what the yeah. client wants. So our our manager was sick and got out of his sick bed to talk to us and reassure us. And I was thinking at that point, boy, he has never earned his percentage more than he I did mean. Right at that moment. He uh, knew the, exactly what to say, exactly what we needed to hear. The he pep in my step. 
as I got on my next flight. It's like, oh, we're getting paid. We're getting paid. And I was able to sort of suppress the the wider disappointment, which was not about the money. It was about the dream of maybe having a shot at creating our own writer's room. I didn't even dare dream beyond that. Like if right. we could just help create our own writer's room, that would be such a great experience. And, and-, and the executive that was that was fired or was let go was in some ways the very best mm-hmm. experience we have ever had in that particular way. I want to work with this person again and at some point. I, yeah. I, I I I trust them. And I won't I don't say that lightly. No, I mean executives it's it's hit and miss, often miss, frankly, because they have to give you feedback. They have to say something that's literally their job, but they're not writers. They don't often know how to vocalize the problem that they've right. either imagined or is real in the script. And that was not true with this one. I mean, we we were talking about his notes with a showrunner friend of ours. And it's like, oh, those are good notes. You know, it's not the general, like, I don't really relate to your protagonist. (laughs) Look, I want to get to our guest, but I did want to say one thing about the other big news. Yes. uh, Which is that we pushed the the button on the Mace Windu novel, uh, the glass of this. And what I did was I sent a a Word document and a link to the dynamic Google Doc so that I can constantly be updating and working and, and they can go in and put notes there. So I figured it's a fast, fast way for us to move forward because at this point, we're down to the short strokes, you know. And so I just wanted to say that it's a huge load. Off my head, we'll talk more about that later. But you know, we have a wonderful guest today. Tell us. Yeah, but also before we even get to the guest, because just today another piece of great news. uh, Because you said as soon as you sent the Star Wars novel, other things would open up, and that's true. It's almost like sort of a magical. Well, it's it's part of the magic formula. You you have to get certain things done in a particular way, and then that creates. It's like it increases your mass in the universe, bends space time, and you start getting lucky. Well, today, very good news from my literary agent. I am about to sell my next novel. So this is really, really big for the crowd. I said, (laughs) I'm about to sell my next novel. Wow. Wow, he got all that. Okay, I see how it is. But anyway, (laughs) I'm not going to say much about it. But I'm very excited because this will be such a fun write compared to the reformatory. It will be hopefully every bit as good and engaging and powerful, but it will not have me walking through the minefield of emotional hell of people abusing and killing children, which was the reformatory. So I'm I could it's it's also a very nice offer. So I'm very, very happy to remember that I'm a novelist at a time when Hollywood is being a little bit frustrating. And despite the setback we had, I'm just going to put it out there. We are still in touch with our exec. We are still in touch with the director. In my mind, we are still a team. And we are going to find a way to make this happen. That's all I'm going to say. And and aside from that, absolutely, let, it, let us bring on our, our guest, who has also been an actual guest in our kitchen table, which is always nice. Shane Hawk, he's enrolled in the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Hidatsa, and citizen Potawatomi, Potawatomi, I think is how you say that, descent, is a history teacher by day, a horror writer by night. Hawk's literary contributions include his debut short story collection, Anoka, alongside short fiction featured in numerous anthologies, and 
He recently co-edited a very exciting anthology called Never Whistle at Night, which has constantly been on on the indie uh, best-selling book list, internationally best-selling list. It's Indigenous Dark Fiction, an anthology published by Penguin. He he lives in San Diego with his beautiful wife, who was also with us at the party. So we're very excited to welcome Shane Hawk. Come on in here. Oh, let me uh, uh, settle down, people. They're just, I don't know, they're a little uh, unruly. They're excited. (laughs) They're very excited, as well they should be. So it's good to see you again. It was just a few weeks ago you were here in person. Yeah, not too long ago. Thanks for having me on. And it's a thrill to have you on. And and I want to also thank you again for bringing Mead to the party. Uh, No one has ever brought Mead to any of our gatherings. And mead, for those of you who don't know, is it's a honey wine or wine with honey. And it's very popular at Ren Fairs and such. And it was very popular at our party. Like of all the bottles, it was the one that had the most people who had been sampling from it and very yeah. tasty. So thank you for what a, a thoughtful contribution. Yeah, of course. It's a little eccentric. You said you had <laughs> researched me and, and seen somewhere that I liked honey wine, which is Ethiopian honey well, wine, probably I was talking about. Okay, yeah, I was so nervous because, you know, I don't really drink. My wife doesn't drink at all. And so I was like, oh, what's a good gift, you know, to drink? What's the adult thing? You know, I'm 33. I got to start being an adult. And, you know, I was like, searching your Twitter. I was like, does she drink? Do they drink wine? And I saw one tweet about honey wine. So I was like, all right, BevMo, where's honey wine? And okay, well, <laughs> bingo. You were, it was a big hit. It was great to see you. And congratulations, <laughs> by the way, on Thank you. your successes, uh, your your personal successes with your own writing. And also as a new writer, to also be a community builder is fantastic. And when you're co-editing anthology mm-hmm. like Never Whistle at Night, you are absolutely a community builder and also bringing attention not just to your own work but to the work of so many other fantastic writers. I know Rebecca Rowanhorse yeah. is in here and just, I don't know all of these writers, but their stories are fantastic. And this is one of those opportunities to to get to know their work. So I want to, I guess we can start there and back you up since I'm already talking about Never Whistle at Night. Like <laughs> in some ways that's not the ending of the story, but it's where the story is now. And then I would mm-hmm. love to go back to the beginning because you have a great origin story as a writer. How did you come to edit this anthology introduced by Stephen Graham Jones mm-hmm. with all these great writers? Where did this come from? How did you get involved? You just got here, by the way. You're a brand new writer yourself for the most part. Yeah. So how did this happen? <laughs> oh, man, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, like you you mentioned in my intro, <clears throat> my first story collection is called Anoka, and I put that out in October 2020, and I just self-published that. I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I'm still a new writer, so I'm still kind of in that same boat. But as with this project, it was December 2020. So just a couple of months after I released my own stuff, someone on Twitter kind of put this tweet out there that both Ted and I knew. So Ted Van Els, he's my co-editor. He's a professor up at Portland State University, the head of Indigenous Studies. Mm. And they said, you know, when are we going to get an Indigenous horror book, a horror anthology? And Ted saw it first, he tagged me in it. And just from there, we started spinning the wheels in our head. You know, who's going to, who's going to take the reins? We didn't think it was going to be us. And then I caught COVID, the original strain. It was really bad. 
with yeah. no vaccine. Yeah. And my mom also at the same time, she was hospitalized. I went to the uh, hospital for a bit, oxygen concentrators. I've always been a very shy person. And ever since then, I think something switched in my brain, you know, after, you know, feeling, feeling death, I guess. Hmm. I started having this kind of degaff attitude toward life. You know, what's the worst thing someone can say is no. So I kind of took the idea and just ran with it. So I started private messaging people. I think the first person I messaged was Tommy Orange, who's mm-hmm. a novel there. There was a Pulitzer Prize a finalist. And he's of my same tribe, too. We're both enrolled in the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I got this crazy idea. You know, I want to make a, a book of, you know, creepy stories by natives. And he's like, sign me up, brother. Mm. And so he was the first one. And I just kept, you know, maybe it's unprofessional looking back in hindsight, but I just kept DMing people. No, it's not. It's, it works. <laughs> I know. We're treating people the way they like to be treated. Just to, I know. reached Jordan Peele through DMs back in the day yeah. when he was still on Twitter for oh, sure. Oh, that's cool. Yes, that's yeah. how we ended up in my class. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So it's not unprofessional. I mean, that's one of the mm. tricks people don't get about social media. Yeah. It's not just that we're gluttons for punishment. It's not just mm-hmm. that we want to argue with trolls. It's because yeah. sometimes that's the only way you can reach, especially celebrities. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. Some people live on Instagram. Some people live on Twitter. You can tell by how often they post. Right. And if you can get them to follow you, then you can message them. It's great. True. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a cool thing about social media is just you're just one click away from, you know, maybe your, uh, some of your heroes. Yes. So yeah, it was just a really cool I love that journey. About of, social media. I mm-hmm. know it's really cool. Although it's, it's sad that X is kind of dying now. Yeah. Twitter, whatever. <laughs> shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Shitter's going down if the only, shitter. Yeah. If only Blue Sky had uh, DMs. I don't know. Um, yeah, Blue Sky is cute. It has some issues. It needs to grow up in some ways. Right. But yeah, it ain't it ain't Twitter yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. And how did you get Stephen Graham Jones on board to write your introduction? Yeah, so Ted is a good friend of Stephen, and he actually edited a volume of Stephen's earlier fiction, which was mostly crime and noir. Mm. And so he already had that connection, and he'd been, you know, friends with Stephen. So that really helped out in reaching out. And he kind of, at first, we asked for a story, and he, you know, obviously he's a busy guy. Yeah. And he offered a reprint. And then, you know, our mission was, you know, 100% original. And so he said, you know, the next best thing I could do is maybe write the intro for you guys. So wait, let me back you up a second. So you rejected a story from Stephen Graham Jones. (laughs) That's what I heard. (laughs) Yeah. And a really good story. The story he offered. I love that story. But yeah, we were, you know, every single story had to be original for this book. Never published before. Well, the intro is great. Yeah. It's even like a short story in itself. Uh, it is he hooked you up with that intro you know i read his intro and i was like wow i really have been phoning it in and my past intro works (laughs) there to that i love that one so much yeah and it's so cool like he's the he's the person that really pushed me to be a writer you know indirectly he didn't really do it but i read mapping the interior which is one of his tour novellas he put that out some time ago and i read it in summer 2019 Mm -hmm. and that that summer, I wanted to put out something like Anoka, but I got too busy with becoming a teacher. And so I put it on the back burner. And then the next summer is when I, you know, COVID happened. So I had some time. So that's when I put out Anoka. 
but he was the one that really made me think, hey, maybe I can try doing this, you know, writing my own stories, creeping people out, sharing you, my, you, you know. You cannot overestimate the power of a role model, of seeing yeah. someone who you say, I, that person's like me. They did it. I can do it. That's yeah. critically important. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm still a new writer, still learning a whole ton of things every single day. But as a high school teacher as well, it's been really cool showing and sharing all the progress that I've been making in this book and all the success. And I've been actually inspiring a lot of my students. So great. And even, you know, when I was writing Anoka, I was a long-term substitute at a different school. And all the kids remember me, even though I was a sub. Like, who remembers their substitutes? Mm. And they, they'll still remember me. They'll see me at the stores. Yo, Mr. Hawk, Mr. Hawk, hey, how's it going? It's been really cool. But uh, yeah, I really like inspiring the, the young people. Are you trying to, did you just say that you only started writing in 2019, 2020? Yeah, yeah. I wrote a short story in 2019 just to kind of get the feeling out there. Before that, the first and only story I wrote was on one of those, I forget, Alpha Smart in mm. uh, my third grade class. It was like a keyboard with a screen. Okay. And, uh, it was so like you're, you're going back to third grade now. Okay. So, no, well, that's great. So you, yeah. you had a gap. You started in third grade. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you could call it a gap. Same with the reading. I think I told you guys at your house. Um, oh, this night. is a great story, everybody. Gather around. Yes, <laughs> proceed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that, you know, I just mostly started reading in 2016 when I made a lot of uh, life changes. And, you know, I read Goosebumps. I read some creepy stories as a kid. I read like the first Harry Potter or two. And then kind of quit. School kind of killed my love for reading, for, you know, imagining other worlds because of all the analysis. I didn't really have the respect for analysis at the time. And then I didn't really read anything. A lot of kids don't. Yeah. And I, I'm learning that now as a teacher. And I didn't learn, I didn't uh, read anything until, you know, I was 26. So 2016, I made a lot of life changes and started reading in that first year. It was like 50 books. And then it was 200, then 250. And then now I'm always reading multiple books in different formats all the time. What um, jump-started that reading binge? A major uh, life change I had was I was going through depression and all these things, and I didn't finish college. And I decided to go back, erase all my bad grades, and pursue a bachelor's degree. Mm. And so I just it started out with uh, nonfiction history books, and then expanded to genre. And then I just fell in love and just kept going. Uh, audiobooks all the time. I was delivering pizza. Yeah, I was delivering pizza a lot to bring in the money. 
throughout college. And I had all of that, you know, commute time driving those pizzas around. So I read so many books via that way. And yeah, in 2016. So that's not so long ago. And then no! Incredible. three years later, I felt like I needed to write. And then it, Stephen Graham Jones inspired me. And then I did it the following year. When you're kind of compressing decades into months there. So you're getting a real <laughs> spurt of yeah. progress as you realign yourself to this new life path. I think that that's, it's phenomenal and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's been an amazing short, you know, part of my life, you know, we're homeowners now and there's other stuff I can't announce yet, but just a lot of stuff aligning and it's, it's really great. We're really lucky, really grateful. I loved meeting you and, and your, and your Same. wife. Remind me of your wife's name. Victoria or Tori. Victoria. She <laughs> was so sweet and incredible. And yeah, it's just sometimes you, we had only known each other through correspondence because I, I blurb never yes. whistle at night. But when I, I, I guess I was just on Twitter and I saw, oh, wait, you're local. I didn't know. I didn't realize you were here in Southern California. So I wanted, gotcha. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to add him to this list because we had this artist salon at our house. We tried mm. to do it the previous year and all my, all my writer friends canceled. Steve, some of Steve's friends came, mm. but well, most of my writer friends canceled. Thank goodness one came. But this year we had a nice turnout of yeah. writers, some purely prose, some like, like me and Steve who do both prose and screenplays, some who do only mm. screenplays. And it was such a great opportunity for people to sort of trade experiences, which is what we yeah. want. What has it been like for you to enter an artist's community after literally this just happened, like the day before yesterday? I mean, specifically your house, that the party, <laughs> or just the community? Well, both. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I'm, well, in community with people like Stephen Graham Jones now, we like, oh yeah, yeah. right. It's, I don't mean it's like you are you are one of this it, this group. It feels uh, surreal, you know. I, I tell my students this all the time. Like this was my literary hero, and now we text, and I've had dinner with him, with my wife, and with editors and stuff. And you know, he wrote the intro for this book, and you know, that's not gonna, that's not the last time we're gonna hang out, you know. No, just no, and extremely surreal. Just and then when you send me that email, you know, hey, you live by us, sort of, right? Want to come on over? I was literally on the couch staring at my phone, and I was telling my Tanana Reeve dude just invited us to her house. <laughs> it just kind of blew my mind, and you know, it's it's really cool to be you know just included and in meeting so many great folks, especially at your the salon. I had to get someone their notes still <laughs> yeah oh well so you're exchanging oh that's see that's what you want you want people to exchange email addresses and show each other their work and, it is and, impossible. and another thing that's impossible to overestimate is how important it is to associate with the right people with people yeah. who are on your path either mm -hmm. at about your level or ahead of you and yeah. the fact that stephen graham jones reached out to you i'm sure has sharpened in you an appetite to find somebody who you can help in the same way. And exactly. That's exactly what what works mm -hmm. is to to always be learning, always be doing, always be teaching and helping. Yeah, exactly. And it's a it's a major staple in across, you know, indigenous communities is this idea of paying it forward. 
Um, that's survival. That that's survival yeah. for indigenous peoples, for yeah. people all over the world. Civilization separates enough that we can have the illusion that we can do it alone. It's nonsense. Yeah. It's total nonsense. Yeah. We're all connected in one way. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we absolutely are. And and the viewers can't see it, but you're wearing a hat. This is the future of horror is black and indigenous. And I, I also <laughs> have that hat, although I've forgotten who sent oh, that hat to me. I got it it's, from uh, Andrea L. Rogers. Okay. Yeah, she's also in Never Whistle. Yeah, we're we're gonna go up for a writer's residency. Another cool thing happening in my life. We're teaming up to write an indigenous horror stage play up in Washington. And oh, that's that like next year. Fun. So I've never yeah. done a play. So you're you you're just racing that, ahead. You're just like doing all the things. If you Sorry. can do that right, you could set it up so that you either do a touring. Yeah, he said it's going to be touring next year. You could have several companies and you license it or, you know, allow mm. different peoples to put it on different places. But that's, you know, that's how you get it done. Yeah. That just is. You know, maybe you're the indigenous Tyler Perry. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> no, but you can, you can start by touring plays around. He means that as a compliment. Small, no, finding no. <laughs> finding the, the, the way to reach your audience consistently. And you can roll that into film. Yeah. Exactly. You absolutely can. Test it as plays, roll it into film. Yeah. It's all yeah, an interesting I, journey so far. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I love, because COVID was very impactful for me in terms of my creative process because it mm. really helped focus me to get a novel finished that I have been working on for years, literally for the reasons you said, thinking about death. As horror mm. writers, I think we're probably always thinking about death a little bit <laughs> most of the time, but yeah. it really hits home when there's something like COVID, which at the time did not have a vaccine. We didn't know what all the effects of it would be, how bad it would get. I was doing a, a podcast about the stand the whole time, you know, in, in 2020 during early COVID. So that to to weaponize your your fears so that it helps propel you toward your dreams is something very, very important to learn how to do. And not a lot of people do it. And the clarity with which you've done it in such a short period of time. I mean, it takes some writers five years to write a story that's publishable, mm -hmm. but you started at a very high level of craft as well. And what would you say your secret to that? What I mean, in fact, I'm one of those writers, Shane, I started out trying to sell short stories. Mm -hmm. In fairness, I was not writing authentically about my experiences. I was early, early, early on, right out of grad school, I was still writing white characters because that was what the canon looked like to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what, what your secret was to like establishing such a high level of craft so soon after you started writing. Man, I don't have any secret formula. Um, Beta did you have storytellers in your family? Or did you, were you raised with storytellers? Yeah, on, on both my, you know, indigenous and white side, just always getting bedtime stories, just always sharing stories. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's hereditary. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I told you guys at your house, you know, obviously didn't read until 2016 heavily, but I've always loved movies and TV shows and paying attention to narrative structures and what I do like and don't like about certain TV shows and movies and what they what they nail and what they don't get. Right. And then just try to take kind of, I guess, borrow from your favorites 
you know, mm-hmm. without copying them. Mm-hmm, for sure. Just kind of piecing because it's really hard to make a perfect movie if it does exist or a perfect TV show. But there's like, to me, in my opinion, you know, perfect elements, you know, if you could take certain things and kind of weave a narrative together that interests you. I think that's the main thing was with Anoka, even though it's self-published, I just put it out there into the world. I didn't think a lot of people was going to read it. <laughs> I think I had 20 pre-orders. I was in like a small writer's discord and they were the pre-order people. And I don't know how it took off, but I think just being open and honest on social media, just spreading love out there and, you know, lifting other people up. That's what I always did. You know, retweeting, quoting, sharing other people's successes. Yes. Um, so important. Yeah. And for the audience, Tanana Reeve was the first person I reached out to for a blurb for Never Whistle at Night when it was a concept. Mm. So yeah, I emailed you. It was early 2021 before we sold it, I think. And my agent's oh. like, whoa, whoa, this is too early for blurbs. And I was like, I just sent her a note just to ask. And you immediately said, yeah, when it's ready, send me the PDF. I'm ready. And then, you know, two years later, send it to you and you, you delivered. It was amazing. I'm glad to hear that I, I did that. You have yeah. to add. Sometimes you, those stories. For our, our listeners, will you notice that Shane asked for what he wanted? Oh my gosh, just he going after a, it. A vision of what he wanted. And then he takes action, you know, reading and writing and, mm-hmm. and then reaches out to people above him until he can find allies that he can align himself with. This is how you do it. This is exactly how it actually gets done as opposed to what you think it needs. You don't need to have connections, but you need to find connections. You need and to another piece of what, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. But I, another thing I heard, Shane, that you talked about, and I haven't read Anoka, which is uh, my loss, but it sounds to me from talking to you about that journey that you were not writing it toward a marketplace, which is I think what unconsciously I was doing and writing mm. white protagonists, not including mm. enough of myself in my own work. Mm. And I didn't have enough of just pure cleverness to stand out without including. So you were writing, for, it sounds like, from an authentic place. Mm-hmm. And that resonated with people, which, hello, that is, that's what I tell <laughs> writers all the time. So many writers feel like the way to have commercial success is to try to sound like those other writers who were not mm. from their own experiences when it's in fact your own experiences and your own authenticity, which will make your work stand out. Yeah. Yeah. With Anoka, you know, I think maybe it was a, a blessing without having, you know, that over me that, oh, a bunch of people are going to read this. And so maybe that didn't hinder my process. And I wrote a lot of that, you know, that's my blood on the page. I didn't really do too much self-insert before I even knew what that term, what the hell that was. But a lot of those characters are kind of pieces of me. And I wrote from, I I just told this to someone else recently that writing that book and putting it out there, that was kind of like therapy. It was therapeutic. You know, it was years and years of depression, suicidal ideation, you know, family drama, alcoholism, all this stuff kind of built up. And I kind of put it on the page to kind of say bye to a lot of it. Well put. That's brilliant. You know, I think that if we lined up all the writers end to end who feel like they're alive because they could express their nightmares on paper, we'd stretch from here to the moon. That what you're talking about is that artists, what you're supposed to do with your emotion is take action with it 
And when you can't see a direct route to reducing your pain through action, if you can express it artistically, if mm-hmm. there's another human being, you know, who can hear, you know, that you think when you're in pain, it can feel like you're disconnected from life. Does anybody even know I'm here? Does it yeah. even matter to me when you can write something down and then you get a letter from somebody saying, I know how you feel. You spoke my dreams. You spoke my feelings. That can save the life of the artist and the reader. Yeah. You know, that, that that experience is, I think, essential to the concept of what art is, is to express some powerful emotion I have, because if I can't express this emotion, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically yeah. it right there. Well, I'm I'm so grateful that you you dug in, dug into yourself, <laughs> dug into yeah. your experiences, exorcised some of those demons. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. basically recreated your whole life. Like your life mm-hmm. 20 before 2016 or you know 2019 even is mm-hmm. so different from your life now. I can imagine how that must be surreal. What are your uh, remaining dreams in terms of since you're you're aiming for the bleachers and you've seen that miracles happen. What's next yeah. for you? A global feature that stage play. Okay. And someday maybe being just like your dream, having my own writer's room mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or even showrunner. I love this. <laughs> I never would have said that at your stage that you're like already like, yes, because it, the, the possibility, I think having examples of so many other prose writers who are transitioning into Hollywood helps a lot of prose writers realize, oh, that's something that I can do too, rather than sort of being mystified by it as I was for so many years. And as a matter of fact, we have an upcoming workshop that's specifically designed, not exclusively, but really I have in mind prose writers, maybe published or unpublished, who who want to sort of confront that mystery of what is it about to be a screenwriter? How is screenwriting different from prose writing? What is the dynamic of a writer's room? And it is a 10 uh, writer secrets for breaking into Hollywood. And it's coming up on February 17th. It's like a three hour workshop at www.screenwritingwebinar.com. We've taught it before. We taught it last fall. It was really fun. And we had a great turnout. It was was more than just fun. We had people who were experienced writers saying it was the best writing workshop they'd ever been to. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, you know, the first hour is going to be general writing theory. You know, just all the basic tools you need to go from zero to getting into the game. But then once you're publishing stories, it's how to transform that level of skill into something that works in Hollywood. So it's right. it's segmented, you know, very carefully. You know, so the first hour is writing, the second hour is screenwriting, and the third hour is career building. Working in Hollywood. Specific tactics for moving in. And we just love to see you there. I think about half the spaces are full right now. But it's February 17th, www.screenwritingwebinar.com. And that's our ad for that one. But also, it, I love, Shane, that you want to go into television writing. And, you know, your first step will be that first writer's room. And wouldn't it be great if Steve and I got that writer's room and we could actually bring you in? Who knows what can happen in the future? But cool. it's really, really good having you on the show. Where can people find you if they want to interact with you, either on social media, on your website? Yeah, I have all my social, whatever social medias are live still linked on my website since, you know, some of them are dying now, but shanehawk.com. You can find everything there. 
do you have a parting piece of advice for people who are yearning, who maybe have not walked the path yet toward becoming the writers they can be? What what would be the the biggest piece of advice you would give to such people, like a you, ten years ago? Really thinking that over. Yeah, send a message in a bottle back to the younger self. Or well, even, I, even how about the self? You mentioned depression. Mm-hmm. If you could send a message in a bottle back to your depressed self, what? And you had no, you had no more than a hundred words, maybe no more than twenty-five. I don't know, something really short. What would you say that would have made mm-hmm. a difference? Let's see. I'd probably say something like. You know, let go of ego. You can't fix everything. Things will be okay and better than you can ever imagine. I love mm. it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So well, th- things are definitely are, okay. There is somebody out there. You just right there, you have what it is that you have to teach. Your pain is your gift. You find out the exact message that would have made a difference to that younger self, and you mm. trumpet that message from the rooftops. And you build it into your into your work, and you one of these days somebody will come up to you and they will say, "I am alive because of you," and you will you'll get it. You will get it on a deep, deep level. You have something to give, my friend, and I hope I'm glad that you're giving it. And I, I am really glad that I did send that email to invite you and Victoria to the house because yeah. it was such a delight to meet you both of you. Yeah, um, that was fun. Yeah, that was super fun. We will definitely be keeping an eye on whatever you're doing in the future. Who knows what it will be, Lord? I mean, you <laughs> you are on an incredible streak, my dear. So looking at Shane Hawk and his trajectory, I want all of you listeners to go out and be the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. Uh, oh, look at the audience again. You see where they're... They're so slow. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I just can't keep up with you, honey. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.